This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers this teaching entitled Holy Obedience. This is the third message in the series, Real Mature. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. So welcome to 12 Stone Across the Campus. Is so glad you're with us today. And we've been asking ourselves recently, what does it mean to be spiritually mature? What is real maturity? Now we affirmed last weekend that it's really nothing more at its core than a relationship with God, our Heavenly Father who created us and restored us to Him through the work of Jesus. But we want to add to that today, that real mature is joining God in his bigger story. That when you're real mature, really mature, you will join God in his bigger story. That oftentimes we get consumed with and wrapped up in all the stuff that's the activity of life. And it's understandable, but the real mature kind of rise above that. They get beyond that. And we engage the bigger story that God's engaged in, his big story. We see the world from God's view. We don't just start with us, we start with God. I had uh, one of my more enjoyable stories uh, quite some time ago when I, when I had to get out of the things that consume me up into a bigger story. And, and while that un- unfolded, I, I used it as a time to, to do a bit of a practical joke on my, my siblings. Kind of prank them, really. So back in 1993, my mom wanted to, to have a a gathering at her house with her four biological children, kind of a pizza night and conversation. And, and, and that was going to be easy for my three siblings. They lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan, right near mom. It was just going to be a few minutes driving in the evening. For me, that was going to be complicated because I lived here in Atlanta. We were in the middle of construction for our very first building as a church, 12 Stone. And, and, and I had my hands in that construction and kinds of, all kinds of ministry activities going on. I had to preach the weekend, so prepare for that. Family stuff going on. And, and, and so I just told my siblings I don't have the time and Frank I don't have the money so so that was going to be difficult and not going to be convenient at all on the other hand that's not what I told my mom what I told my mom is yes I'll be there because there's a bigger story in play really it was life and death for her she uh she had uh been struggling with cancer and um didn't, didn't know how long she would have left to live and uh, she didn't know how many weeks uh would remain but she wanted to have an evening with her kids. And I said, well, of course I'm going to be there. I, I can get myself out of the, all the stuff that's important and, and, and weighty. But you know what? I, I, there's a bigger thing in, in play here. And mom wanted to have a dialogue with the kids and, and talk about really life and death issues and, and things that might be of sentimental value to us materially, etc. So I wasn't going to. But my brothers and sisters didn't know it because we were going to prank them. So I flew up, and, and, and mom picked me up, and, and, and when my brothers and sister showed up at her house, she called pizza delivery, and I was to be the pizza delivery man. I was waiting at the pizza place, and I was going to prank them. I, we'd gone and got a disguise. I got some long, straggly hair, a hat, some glasses. Uh, I bought cigarettes. Actually, she bought them because I didn't want to say I actually bought cigarettes. She bought cigarettes, and, 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 and I put on some, some, some junkier clothes and a little bit of, 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 of space in the clothes and puffed some things out and just anything 
anything I could do. And when I, when I showed up at the door with the pizza, I talked in as hick a voice as I possibly could because I was going to harass my brothers. And, and I knew it would tick them off. I, I gave them the price of the pizza that was way beyond the cost. And I knew if I overcharged them, they'd get mad. I mean, they'd get angry and they, and they, they were starting to get ticked. And they let me in the house and they said, well, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And I'm talking hick now. And, I, and, and finally, I, I just took the pizza, walked over to the, the, the kitchen table and I set it down. I whipped open the top of the pizza box. I said, well, this right here is a perfectly good pepperoni and cheese pizza. And if you ain't going to pay for it, then screw you. And I took the lit cigarette and jammed it right in the middle of the pizza and turned around and just headed out toward the door. Well, by now, uh, the middle brother, Ron, who is the more hot-headed, he is on my heels, man. This is not going to go well. And I stopped and I turned and looked at him and then I talked to my normal brother voice. I said, and if that's how you're going to treat me when I fly up, I'm just going to go home. And his head did like a 360-degree turn. I mean, he just, he didn't even know what happened. He, he didn't know how that voice made sense with the moment he had just experienced. And I burst out laughing and mom burst out laughing. And my older brother, Randy, still pretends that he figured it out, but he didn't. He just doesn't like being punked. Now, I, I, now that, that probably what I did wasn't real mature, but, but it was a lot of fun. But what was real mature is that, that I left the stuff behind that were consuming me to be a part of a, 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 of, of a story that was unfolding. It's a bigger story. What we do when we're real mature spiritually is we join God in a bigger story. We don't just get wrapped up in all the stuff going on around us. We answer the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, honored, adored, worship be your name. Your kingdom come, your will. Say it with me. Your what, everybody? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are answering that prayer. Our desires for the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we join in the bigger story that God is unfolding. Last uh, end of March, we had a what's on my mind conversation and I, I laid out for you what is spiritual maturity and I said it's three things in one. The first thing it certainly is is a, a spiritual intimacy and that engages your heart, and Kevin Queen talked about that a, a couple of weeks ago. Then we said the second thing it certainly includes is, is biblical knowledge, and, and that engages your head, and we unpacked that last week in the teaching. You can go get that if, if you missed it, get it online. And the third is holy obedience. Say it with me. What is it? Holy obedience, and, and that engages your will. And it, maybe, maybe you need, maybe you weren't here, maybe you missed out on that, uh, that summary teaching. You can go on, online and get uh, the statement, the, kind of the five-minute quick video that captures this uh, and, and talks about how one without the other two is a, is a major breakdown. But today we're going to talk about holy obedience, and I want to lay out a story for you. A story of a man in the New Testament whose name is Philip, and Philip... Philip models for us what, what is this, this holy obedience through two particular moments in the, in the story uh, of the New Testament. One is found in Acts chapter 6, and the other is found in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 6, uh, it's the story of, of Jesus having been uh, given himself on the cross and died, rose from the dead, now sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes and the church gets launched. And people's lives are being changed because God is restoring them, forgiving them of their sin, and we're being restored to God through the work of Jesus. Really spectacular, best news of all news. And the church is continuing to grow, and the organizational complexity of it begins to, 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 to kind of collide. 
And the Greek-speaking believers are colliding with the uh, Hebrew-speaking believers over their widows and the distribution of food. And they want the, the apostles to give attention. They say, no, we can't. We got to stay invested in prayer and the study of God's word. In other words, we got to be about the things that have to do with the will of God. We got to discern and know the will of God in terms of teaching and in terms of what we do together. We need the power of God to continue to advance the kingdom of God. We're a part of doing bigger things. Now, this is important, but what I want you to do is you go find seven men among you in the church. In other words, this is about lay people. This is you. You who are part of the church, go find seven among you who are of good reputation, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who have wisdom. And among the seven, one of them was Philip. And when it says good reputation, it means somebody who is godly. Someone who's committed to obedience, to mimicking God, to being like God. God is holy. Be holy as God is holy. And, and, and so, so Philip was one of those who recognized he was committed to obedience, to being obedient and to dealing with the reality of sin. I want to live free from sin. That's what you find in Acts chapter 6. That, that was the nature of the character of, of, of what we discover about Philip. There's a second story. It's in Acts chapter 8. And, and this also has to do with this holy obedience being practiced. Grab your Bibles and turn with me across campuses to Acts chapter 8. Worship Center Bible right underneath your chair. And we're going to turn over to Acts chapter 8, and, and in verse 26 and following, we're going to pick up on a story, page 1099, page 1099. If you're on a mobile device, we're in Acts chapter 8, looking at verse 26. And, and here's what we find. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go. See, now God's giving direction to him. Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. In other words, God sent Philip. God sent, say it with me, God what? Sent Philip. So he started out, verse 27, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Now this Ethiopian eunuch, if you keep reading, was an official who was actually the treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia. Highly influential position. And verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. In other words, God's continuing to send him and direct him. So he went up to the side of the, of the chariot and he heard that the, the Ethiopian was, was reading from the scrolls, Isaiah 53, which, which is the scroll that tells the prophecy of the coming Messiah, that, that he will be led like a sheep to slaughter. He's ultimately going to be a, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And, and, and Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, well, how can I unless somebody explains it? So in verse 35, it says, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? In other words, the, uh, the, the Ethiopian eunuch believed that Jesus was the Christ and, and he received Jesus for forgiveness. He was spiritually saved, transformed. And now he says, why well, might as well be baptized? So Philip baptized him in verse 39 says, and when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. This man's life was transformed because Philip and Acts chapter 8 was a man who was committed to being obedient. And, and that means being obedient wherever God would send him. And, and what Philip is modeling for us is that holy obedience is, is, is endeavoring to be free from sin and free to be sent. 
Now, this is a powerful story that, that gets modeled in the life of Philip and that we can all learn from. And you see the influence, the impact of this is this Ethiopian uh, has his life transformed by Jesus and is forever changed, not only here on earth, but, but more importantly for all of eternity. And, and that little moment of obedience was transforming right here. However, what Philip didn't understand that, that we can say we now understand because we can see it is that he was part of a bigger story, part of a bigger, say it with me, part of a what church? Bigger story and so are you. Your obedience is part of a bigger story. I can just highlight for you. We could go back in time that preceded Philip. You can go into the Old Testament. You'll see in the Old Testament that, that, that God was providing restoration to him with and through the Jews, but it excluded non-Jews. And so non-Jews had, had no access to, no relationship with God. This, this, this work from the Old Testament was o- only for the Jews. In fact, you get to places like Psalm 68 and others like Isaiah where we, we, we just reference, and you discover that God, however, prophesies that's what's coming is a time when all will be included, even the non-Jews, and, and God intends to do something. In fact, what's unique is in Psalm 68, verse 31, he, he talks about Ethiopia and that nation reaching out to God, and it seems to breathe something of a prophecy of something that's going to happen in Ethiopia. What's interesting is what Philip engaged in, and that moment was actually fulfilling a bigger story. God was doing something bigger, and Philip probably didn't even understand in the moment how much it preceded his act of obedience. But he was not only fulfilling something that God was in the midst of doing, but he was part of unfolding unfolding a bigger story. See, the story is always bigger. Your obedience is always bigger than you. It's a bigger deal, and it's unfolding a bigger story because well, our church father, Irenaeus, talks of how this Ethiopian was most likely and believed in history to be the one that brought Christianity to Ethiopia. And that you may not know that in history, somewhere around 330 to 340 uh, AD, that the king of Ethiopia not only became a follower of Christ, but declared Jesus as the Messiah and, and made Christianity the official religion of the nation of Ethiopia. And that even in modern day now, some 60 million people in Ethiopia are followers of Jesus Christ. When you come to that, you realize, oh my goodness, this little moment in time for Philip, his obedience was a big deal and it was part of a bigger story. And listen, that's what you and I are involved in. We recognize that real maturity knows that we, our obedience is no small thing. It, it is part of fulfilling a, b- a bigger story that God's engaged in and unfolding a bigger story that you cannot even measure. We see things. We join God in the bigger story. And so holy obedience is wrapped around those two things. And I think Philip would, would say, first of all, in fact, I put this in your notes, two things that, that modeled by his life. You can jot these down, we'll put them on the screen. First of all, that God's power is bigger. God's power is bigger, live free from sin. And secondly, God's purpose is bigger. God's purpose is bigger, live free to sin. Let's unpack those two. I think right off the top, Philip would say, holy obedience is not merely being free for God to send you, but it's endeavoring to be free from sin. Because many people say, oh, I want to be used mightily by God. But if you want to be used mightily by God, 
you can't live comfortably in disobedience. Let me say it again. I'll take it back and, and we'll just look at it in this context. You know, we see, when, when we see Philip being used mightily by God, being sent to impact the life of the Ethiopian that had great consequence and positive impact down the road. But before you see him being sent, free to be sent, you see that he had already preceded it with surrender. Do you see that? He was already, see, he'd already become, if, if you will, a man after God's heart. He'd already been dealing with the sin issues. You, we, we say, oh, I want to be used mightily by God. But you, listen, if you're going to be used mightily by God, you can't live comfortably in sin. And your disposition toward God matters. So, the first thought We've already said it, but let's unpack it. God's power is bigger. God's power is bigger. Live free from sin. Now, in Acts chapter 6, we have that story of Philip. Look for men of godly reputation, of good reputation, men who mimic God. Well, how how on earth can you say that Philip is free from sin? I mean, we we all sin, right? Look, look, take a moment right now, cross campuses, look at the person next to you, on your left and on your right. Just look around you. Look across the room. Look, look, okay, you know what you're looking at? Bunch of sinners. <laughs> In fact, some of you are already like, I knew that. In fact, you're doing more than I asked you to. You're looking over like, you're a mess. You're, just, you're, you're going way too far. You're saying way too much to the people next to you. Because we've all sinned, including Philip. Pastor Chuck Swindoll, I love this story, several years ago tells of how he was driving his uh, Volkswagen Beetle in uh, Southern California, and, and he was in a hurry. He was late. He had to get somewhere, and, and the light turned yellow and red before he could get through it, and he stopped. He looked both ways and said, I got to go, and he just drove right through the red light. A couple days later, he got a note. It said, Pastor Chuck, we saw you run the red light. <laughs> And if you don't want to face the media, then you face us on this morning at this restaurant for breakfast at this time. Well, he knew it was tongue-in-cheek fun, so, so he shows up, and he walks in the restaurant as he tells his story, and there he saw in the corner a few of his guy friends, like middle schoolers, chuckling, laughing, <laughs> we so got you, and he, and he wore a sign on, on, on the front of his shirt, he had tape, it said, guilty as charged. <laughs> I mean, he just came in confessing, that's me, guilty as charged, and after they had their little fun, then he turned around, he had a sign on his back, and it said, he who is without sin cast the first stone, <laughs> kind of making a point. Hey, nobody, nobody is going to be able to point a finger at somebody else. Because we've all sinned. But that's all the more what makes what Jesus did for us so very powerful. Because what Jesus accomplished on the cross was to cover our sin debt. And this is really important theology. To cover our sin debt. So that when we ask God for forgiveness and believe on Jesus Christ and receive him, he covers our sin and all God sees is the righteousness of Jesus covering us and we are made holy. We now stand holy before God. That's a beautiful and powerful thing. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 11. In the same way, count, now that word's important, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Literally, reckon yourself dead to sin. What that means is this. Agree with God that the work of Jesus Christ was sufficient. 
agree with God. Reckon yourself dead to sin. No longer does sin and the chains of sin bind you, hold you in bondage, and enslave you. You are now free from the chains, the bondage, the enslavement of sin. That's how sufficient the work of Jesus Christ is on your behalf. Now agree with God in that manner. So let me explain to you the difference between man-made religion and a relationship with God through Jesus. See, in in man-made religion, we all recognize that we have chains of of sin and and habits that that bind us, and so we're all wrapped up in it. And and so man-made religion tries to work it out on its own, tries to break the chains and get freed from it. We're going to do it on our own effort and on our own grit and on our own discipline and our own habits, and we're just going to, we're going to self-help ourselves out of this, and it never quite works. Oh, you, you get rid of something for a while, and then, but then you got this over here, and, it just, and, and that's all man-made religion can actually do. A relationship with God through Jesus means that Jesus accomplished what we cannot. And so he conquers sin and death so that the chains of sin are no longer on you. They no longer bind you. Reckon yourself dead to sin. This is what he did. Now listen. Does that mean that you can no longer sin? No. It means that you're no longer bound by it and chained by it. Therefore, I can still be tempted to sin. But I have to choose it. See, now in the life of a believer, you're no longer chained. Sin is now a choice. See, now when I'm tempted, I don't have the chains on me. But if I want to, I can go pick them up. See, you've been set free from sin. But if you want to get back into sin, you can. You can go pick up the chains and put them right on you and jump right back into sin. But that's not who you are or what Christ has done. You've been set free. Sin is no longer a chain. It's a choice. See, this is powerful because my mom, when she came to Christ in her 20s, told me the story. And we all have our story, but she had a sense of conviction from the Lord that her cigarette smoking was for her a sin. And that God wanted her to be released from it, but she couldn't. It was, it was an addiction. And, and a friend was talking her through, who was discipling her through the process and using scriptures like this, this Romans 6, where, where you can reckon yourself dead to sin, that you, you've been freed up. No longer is this imposed on you. And so in Romans 6 and 7, it says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So you no longer have to sin. And so our friend said, Lord, ask God to free you up. Ask God to free you from the addiction. The chains have been torn, torn off, thrown off from you. So she told me how she had that moment with her friend. They prayed. And how God did something so supernatural in her that he removed the desire for cigarettes, though it had been addiction for years, and she never had the desire for it again. 
Now that's the power of God. Now keep listening. Does that mean that every temptation happened that way in life? No. No, many times temptation, you've been freed from the bondage of sin, but it's still tempting to you, and so you have to battle it. You have to war against it. That it's more than one prayer. Sometimes you pray many times throughout your life to stand against and not fall into it. Now does that mean that we never sin? No. No, but the power of God is able to free us from sin, and if we're tempted, can you sin again? Yes, you can pick up the chains. But First John... Chapter 2, verse 1, 2 says the goal is that you would not sin, that you would live in holy obedience. The goal is now that you would walk sin-free. You don't have to sin, but if anyone does sin, Jesus Christ's grace covers you, and you ask for forgiveness of sin. He forgives you immediately, and you continue to walk with God. The goal is your, of your life is by the power of God to live free from sin, and you don't have to sin. See, many of us say every day, oh, I'm going to sin today. No, you don't have to. The power of God is so great in you, you don't have to. Imagine that. If you would wrap your head around, you don't have to live in sin. You don't even have to sin. And holy obedience is rooted in the knowledge that God is good. And because God is good, we can trust him. And therefore, well, listen, whatever God calls sin, I call sin. Listen, whatever God calls sin, I agree with God, I call it sin. Because I know sin would be bondage for me. It'd be picking up the chains again. Listen, sin is destructive in the life of a believer or an unbeliever. It's destructive. And your attitudes and actions of sin will cost you. Really, my holy obedience is rooted in my love for Jesus, my love for him. Look at John chapter 14. It describes this relationally. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me, see that anyone who loves me will obey. They will what? They will obey my teaching. My father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. See, Jesus is reminding us that if we really love God, it'll be evidenced in the way we obey him. And the power of God is so great we can be free from sin. So where are you enslaved? Where are you chained by sin? Many of us who have walked with God for years have long since shed the sins we don't like, but oftentimes hold on to the two or three sins we do like, and we say, oh, I can't get rid of those. And usually what that means is not that we can, it's that we won't. That deep, deep down we have a desire and attachment. And God says, oh, my power is greater than that. So where is there disobedience in your life and sin where God would love to free you up? That's the first thing I think Philip would say, God makes it possible to live free from sin. But, but obedience, it, it's more than living free from sin. It's also living free so that God can send you. And that was the second thought. We put it in your notes. God's purpose is bigger. Live free to send. Free to what, church? That God would be free to send you wherever he wants. See, Philip was sent by God to tell the Ethiopian about Jesus. And it changed that man's life forever. It changed his eternity. changed his present life. We are invited by God to join him because God is ascending God. God is a sending God. You may have never thought about it before, but jot it down then. If you haven't thought about it before, God is a sending God. God is actively involved in this world, and he's sending you. If you're a follower of Christ, he's sending you. He will often send you to go tell other people about Jesus, to witness for him, to tell your story of what God's done in you and through you. 
God will often send you to bless someone else. And so he'll put a prompt on you for you to go bless someone. He will often send you to serve. Sometimes in, in ministry like your local church right here. And to serve in children and, and, and students and next generation. Or, or, or send you to serve and help grow people up and encourage them in their faith. And strengthen them in their faith. Like small group leaders and the like. Or, or, or serve in some way out in the community and the territory. And, and be of service to others. See, God, God will often send you. The question is, if he sends you, will you go? Because to follow Jesus is to do the will of our Father who is in heaven. And because God is ascending God, we are ascending church. Have you ever thought about that? We gather together in weekends like this, we, 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 or maybe you're uh, you know, vacationing, it's summertime, and you listen online, and, and you engage in worship, and we learn together, and then, and then we send you out. You go, we gather in small group, and then we send you out. Send you out to, to tell others about Jesus, to bless other people, to serve. See, God's ascending God, and we're ascending church. That's a really big thought if you've never thought about it. It's compelling because the real mature understand that holy obedience, when God sends you, is being part of the bigger story. I give you examples like last weekend. At the 9 o'clock service, and some of you experienced it at, at this location at the 11, that um, Chris Morgan came to me at Campus Pastor Mark about 25 minutes before the 9 o'clock service and said, hey, um, we, we had two baptisms. Baptism helps are always set up. We had two baptisms set up for 9 o'clock. Their schedule changed on Saturday with uh, going out of town. We're going to postpone their baptisms. Um, but we have five minutes in the service for their baptisms, and we have water, and nobody's to be baptized. Do we want to just leave it? Or maybe, maybe God sent me to you to have a little conversation. What if you just made it an open baptism moment? <laughs> what might God do? Well, you know what? My best sense is let's do it. I mean, so, so I think in the moment God sent me, and if you were here last weekend, you experienced it. In fact, I offered it first service at 9 o'clock, and didn't matter he, he, whatever God wanted to do, but, it, but, but if, if there was somebody among us who hadn't said yes to Jesus, but you know what it means to say yes, and you've been resisting, and you want to get right with God and get baptized, you could do it in the moment, get baptized in your street clothes, and, or maybe, maybe you recently came to Christ, you hadn't been baptized, and it's an act of obedience, or maybe you have walked with Christ for some time, but it's still an act of obedience you've resisted, he's telling you to be baptized. Well, well, Literally at the nine o'clock service, there, there were a couple, a young couple was walking through the lobby before the nine o'clock and the Spirit of God said to me, they're going to get baptized. I thought, awesome. And they did. They were the first two people who walked up during the nine o'clock. But across the four services, 34 people last week and got baptized in their street clothes, in the moment, powerful, awesome. Because God does things at his time and his bidding. But maybe you've never thought about it. But in order for that to occur, many of you at 12 Stone were sent to serve. See, there, there, there were many of you serving in children's ministry and pouring into kids that made it possible for the adults to be in this room. And you were sent to serve so God could provide that moment. Maybe you never thought about it, but God sends you to serve. There's multiple ways to describe it. I can give you one other way. 12 Stone, we train up leaders. We train you up as leaders and send you out into the community around you. We train up next generation leaders and send them out. We have residency where we train up next generation pastors and leaders in local churches to advance the kingdom of God because we're part of a bigger story and we understand the kingdom of God's in play. And so literally, people who feel 
called to ministry career-wise come to 12 Stone and spend a couple of years in residency and they're learning from you and among you. And then we train them up here and we send them out to serve at other churches. One is a story of, of Matt Hare who, who came here for a couple years residency and then we sent him out and he, he, he pastors at Saddleback Church with Rick Warren. Here's, here, he, he sent a little thank you I thought it would be worth playing listening. Hey 12 Stone, my name is Matt Hare. I served as resident a few years ago in the middle school ministry and am currently one of the middle school pastors at Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California. I just wanna take a quick second and say thank you um, to this church and to these people for what you did for me in my time in the residency program. It's kinda of hard for me to put into words uh, what my time meant, but I think you know, above and beyond just the amazing leadership development and coaching that I got from people like Miles Welch and Stephen Perry and Kevin Monahan and so many of the other pastors who developed me and shaped me in my time in the residency, I think it was the people of this church that made the biggest impact on me. Um, so thank you for being the kind of church who cares about the next generation of church leaders and invests in them and pours into them and gives them chances, even though we're overconfident, cocky kids right out of school that think we know everything, but we really don't. Thank you for caring about the next generation of church leaders and developing them um, and for giving us a shot. That, that made the difference for me. I know that I would not be the pastor that I am today or the person that I am today had it not been for my time um, with the people of this church. So thank you. Let's give it up for Matt. We're proud of you, Matt. Well done, young man. Happy to be a part of it, pour into you and send. And when you hear that story of Matt, you think, oh, that's a cool story of Matt. But can I tell you, that just I, I see a bigger story. In 1981, I asked Marsha to marry me. We were at college, and then we needed some premarital counseling, and the pastor at College Church on campus was Pastor Ken Hare. He did our premarital counseling, and he poured into us, and then we got married and moved on into ministry. That young man, Matt Hare, is Ken's grandson. So some 20-some years later, his grandson ends up coming to the church of the people he did the premarital counseling for, and we pour into his life and then send him out. See, God's always writing a bigger story than you can ever imagine, and your obedience in the moment to wherever God sends you really does matter. But that's not only happening with people from outside 12 Stone. It's happening inside 12 Stone. Next generation. There are kids. There are students who are being called to ministry among us. I wish we had all the time in the world to tell those stories. In fact, maybe you never think about it, but they're happening right now among us. We're raising them up, and we don't even know yet who God's going to call and send out. But we're pouring into them, and we know that story is going to happen in multiple ways. I can give you one example. In May of 2009, we gathered as a church at the Gwinnett Brave Stadium, and we held our service there and we had a call to all of 12 stone who lived out in flowery branch to consider being sent and pioneer in that area and launch a new campus and about 160 of you signed up and said man we're going to go do that and that's spectacular and on that same day i introduced an example of how god calls us to send us and 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 i brought on stage a young man jeffrey wright jeffrey was in high school he's 15 years old at that time and that's a picture of him coming out on the stage and i said jeffrey has a sense of God calling them into ministry. Who knows how that'll play out, but that's what we do as a church. We raise them up and send them out. Well, I can tell you some more of the story. He eventually graduated high school and felt like God, called, God was sending him to UGA. He wanted to live in a school environment of people who didn't know Jesus. 
because he knew God was sending him there and then God would practice sending him to people. Here's just about a 30-second summary of Jeffrey telling one of the moments where God sent him into someone's life. Listen in. Hey, this is Jeffrey, and from an early point at UGA, I knew God was going to use me on my hall. I was at the worship service at a campus ministry called Wesley, felt a press from God to, to leave the service, texted a few friends, said, hey, God's doing something, don't know what, would you pray for me? I ended up back on my hall and found a friend named Hunter. After a lengthy conversation about things going on in his family that were difficult, I actually got to share the gospel with him. And what's cool is that my friends were actually circled around a table in a dining hall praying for me at that exact moment. Very cool God moment. Good for, good for you, Jeffrey. That's what we do. We train you. You engage in holy obedience and you follow God as he prompts you and as he sends you. And that's just what he was doing. When he got done graduated from UGA, he decided to join in the two-year residency for training pastors to go the next level. And then when he graduated, to no surprise, we hired him and sent him to minister to be a pastor at Flowery Branch, where he is the youth pastor, the very campus that was launched the day we announced his calling, and that's where he pastors today. In fact, right now, he's in Haiti with a bunch of high schoolers that we sent out there doing ministry together. Isn't it amazing how we're part of a bigger story, and you can't see it in the moment, but God is doing amazing things when we join him and we say yes to every sending. And, and we have a sense that, that because God's ascending God, we're ascending church. And I don't have time for the rest of the big conversation, but we're going to talk about this as a church more this fall. Because God has sent 12 stone into this territory for some things we've not yet seen and we, he hasn't yet done. Some it's going to involve revival, awakening things in the years ahead. And I don't fully understand. I just have a sense of it. I know there's a thousand men at 12 stone who gather on a monthly basis they're going to gather Father's Day weekend, Saturday morning right here in the room at 7 o'clock and pray over this church and pray over the marriages and families and next generation rising up because we have a sense that God has put something on us he's yet to do and we're sent for this. Some of you know you've been sent to this church because there's a calling on us for the next that God has. And Let me have the real conversation. Let me make it personal. What about you? When God seeks to send you to go tell your story or to go bless someone or to go serve? Is your answer yes? Maybe your prayer today needs to be less about being free from sin and more about being free for God to send you. In fact, my sense in honoring God's prompt today is that we should have a more in, intentional prayer time and since obedience is what we're talking about, I'm gonna obey the prompt. And we're gonna have a moment right here among us which we're happening at all the campuses. Campus pastors are stepping up across all the campuses right now and they're gonna lead a prayer moment that seemed pleasing to God, so we'll honor it. And what's gonna happen is there's gonna be a handful of people who stand across the front of the auditorium. And you're gonna be invited, if you would like, to come in to be prayed over. Not a long prayer, just a minute. And probably one of two things that you'll wanna be prayed for. One is that by the power of God, you'd be free from sin. Now, you don't have to confess your specific sin to that person, but you may choose to. You may just say, I need to be prayed to be freed from sin or freed from temptation or freed from something that, that has a hold of me because many times we feel quite defeated, but nobody else around us knows how defeated we feel. 
Because it seems like we've picked up because sin is a choice. And even though it's true that God has freed us from the chains, many times we've picked it up and it's got a hold of us and it's, it's got a weight on us and we live more defeated than we should. And we long to be used by God, but we're just caught in stuff we don't know how to get out of. Like my mom had a friend pray over her. You being prayed over could be a very significant thing. I think it would please God. I think, listen, I think if we got more serious about sin, God would get more serious about freeing us from sin. This may not be the last prayer ever offered in that area of your life. It may be just the, the power of God to stand against it so you don't fall to it. It may be that you need to go practice accountability and encouragement with others and free yourself from the places and the people where you tend to get tempted in that area and engage yourself more deeply in the things of God around the people in small group and church where, where you can live in obedience. The second area you might ask prayer over is to be sent. You might just come and say, look, I need you to pray over me. I know God's asking me at times to, to go tell someone about Jesus or witness what God's doing in my life, and, and, and I, haven't, I don't say yes. Or he asked me to go bless someone, and I'm more about me. Or he asked me to serve, and I'm not serving anywhere. And you just might say, pray over me, because that, that, my answer to God is going to be yes. So we're going to have a moment of prayer. It may be that you don't want somebody to pray over you. You just need to pray where you stand or... Maybe you just want to make this an altar and step to the side. That's fine. I just think if we get more serious about saying yes to God, he'd be more serious about sending us and we would sense his leadings more clearly. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand in the room. If you would, just let this be a sacred moment. Band's going to come. They're going to sing in the background. Mark, campus pastor, and others are going to just stand. Lay leaders going to stand across the front. They're just going to be in a place where they'll pray over you. And I'm going to invite you in just a moment. Do you come from where you are seated? And I, I, I know how this works. It's a simple thing, but it's a powerful thing. But sometimes you, maybe you're a guy and you think, man, I, I could use that, but I'm going to do that. I'd feel stupid. It, it, let me pause. Man, if God puts it on you to be prayed over, it is the pride and the resistance that keeps you stuck. Maybe you're a young person saying, oh, I, I, you know what, I'm okay with that sin right now in my life, but I'll let it go in three years, five years. No, what's happening is that you're letting the chains get thicker and heavier. Deal with it now. So you can begin to come. Band's going to begin to sing. We're not going to drag this out. We're just going to wait right here before God, and you're going to just begin to step. People will let you get out. They'll let you get out. You want to be prayed over? They'll let you get out. And you stand there and you think about, man, do I, what would, God want, would God want to do something unique in me? This isn't a counseling session. It's just a, it's just a minute of prayer. You can tell however much you want to, to tell. And you just line up and you can walk to a person who's open for prayer and the band's going to just sing in the background. We're going to give this a few minutes. So we've got these moments before God. You come. God might have set this moment up for you for a new level of freedom. So feel free to be prayed over. Band, would you lead us? And we're just going to take these moments to pray. And if you don't come forward, you pray where you stand. Oh, 